Well, we've been looking at the idea of and the theme this year of for his glory. For all things are for the glory of God. All, all that we are as a church should be for the glory of God. And as the church, it means each of us individually, how we live our lives, everything should be for the glory of God. All of our actions, all of our reactions, who we are uh, is to be for the glory of God. And so we've been looking at the life of David here for some time, uh, boldly forward for his glory, uh, thinking about David's life. And we have seen quite a few things, the, the great things in his life, but then also last week specifically, some of the bad stuff in his life. And today we turn the corner just a bit and see this idea of forward repentance. So last week, if you recall, we looked at how David had sinned against God, how we, he looked at this woman Bathsheba. He longed for her, inquiring about her, and he crossed the line, had her come up to his place, and, and he stepped across the line and committed this adultery with this married woman and then tried to cover it up and had her husband killed. And so as we come to this idea and this topic of repentance, we think, boy, David is really going to get it today. We think about how he is going to be told by God what he's done wrong. But if we think it's all about David, then we're sadly mistaken. Because here's the thing is that we are all, listen, we are all in need of repentance. Amen? We're all in need of repentance. So it's not, do you sin, but what happens after you sin? It's not, do we sin, but what happens after we sin? So in order to move forward in our faith, listen, in order to move forward in our faith, there must be a repentance of sin in our lives. We must repent when there's sin. Well, someone may ask, well, but aren't we saved and secure in Christ? I don't need to repent. No. Yes, but we we are, yes, we are saved and secure, but but we all still sin. Well, does that mean that we lose our salvation if we don't repent? No. But if you're not willing to repent it may mean that you were never saved to start with. See, we repent and we believe as we turn to Jesus for salvation. But then also, throughout our journey as believers, we sin and we fail. There are times in our lives when we fail, and and so we are to come to the Lord humbly, confessing our sin, and repent. And so what we're going to see in today's passage of Scripture is we're going to see that in the life of David. We're going to see this idea of repentance how it's seen in him and how he deals with it and how God deals with the sin in his life. And we come to this passage of Scripture, beloved, the one from last week and this one coupled together and realize that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, that all of us sin and must repent. Amen? Amen. All right, so having said that, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, stand with me as I read Second Samuel chapter 12, reading verses 1 through the first part of 15. The Bible says this. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food, drank from his own cup, lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. A traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one, of the, prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who's done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, You are the man. 
Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. His wife to be your wife. You've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord: Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of, of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin, and you shall not die. However, because of this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. And then Nathan departed to his house. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts, open our ears, give us attention to be able to be receptive to your spirits moving. And what we need to hear and what we need to understand is we think about this in the life of David, but how it also applies to us. God, I pray that we would be open to what you need us to hear and understand from you today. And Lord, may we walk away from here challenged and a changed people by your grace, by your power, and by your spirit. Father, I pray that you would take the the word of God, the message that has been prepared this morning. Lord, the little loaves and the fish, that you would break the bread and multiply it. Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do here. You know every heart and you know every life. And I praise you, God, that I don't. But I praise you, Father, that you know us and that you're working. And so, Lord, I pray that you would have your way, that we may hear what we need to hear and be changed and challenged. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. So we're looking at this idea of what has happened last week with David and Bathsheba and Uriah. And we come to today's passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel 12. And you see the outline there in your bulletin. Follow along uh, as you can. And the first thing that we want to see here is we think about this idea of repentance. It's a forward repentance. Repentance that's needed in our lives in order to move forward in our faith. In repentance, we see first off that there is a cause and conceit. There's a cause and conceit. And the first thing we want to see here is the cause. Well, what's the cause of repentance? And the cause of repentance is sin. Sin is the cause. And we see that in last week's... You got me, brother? Last, last week's passage of Scripture, 2 Samuel 11, but also in 2 Samuel 12. In 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, at the end of that passage of Scripture, we see, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What David had done, the sin with Bathsheba, the sin with Uriah, it had displeased the Lord. It was a sin. 
but it's also sin against God. We see in verse 1 there of chapter 12, and the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he gives him these words here from the Lord to Nathan to give to David because it is a sin that is against God himself. Now the last time, notice that the last time we received a message from God through Nathan to David, it was a message of a covenant of grace. And now we see there's a different message that is coming from uh, God through Nathan to David. It is a message of a cause that he needs to repent. David will ultimately realize that the sin is against the Lord. And we know that because we'll see that here in a few minutes, but also in Psalm 51. As that is what David penned on the occasion of as God had dealt with his heart. In that passage of Scripture in Psalm 51 and chapter, chapter 51, verse 4, David says these words to God. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Against you, God, against you only have I sinned and have done evil in the sight. And we say, Well, wait just a minute. What, what about the sin toward Uriah? What about his sin with Bathsheba? I mean, don't they count? Well, absolutely they count. But ultimately, here's the thing. Ultimately, all sin is against the Lord. Y'all with me? All sin, ultimately, all sin is against the Lord. And the Lord points that out to David in verse 8, really. And I'll we'll touch that, and then we'll come back through again and hit it again. But here in verse 8, he says, as the Lord is speaking through Nathan to David, he says in verse 8, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have also given you much more. So what does that mean then? Does that mean that if David had asked for Bathsheba, if he had seen her and said, God, would you please give me Bathsheba, that God would have given her to him? No, that's not what that means at all. No, what God is saying to David here is that, David, look, what you, have, what you received is not what I could have given you. I could have given you so much more. In other words, God is saying, look, David, I am your satisfaction, not the things of this world. What you have done, David, is that you have taken your eyes off of me, the Lord, and off of my pleasures, and you have turned them to the pleasures of the world. Now, let me ask you, does that sound familiar? That's the way we see things a lot of times in our own lives today as believers is that we take our eyes off of the Lord God Almighty who is the King of the universe, who is our Creator, who is our Savior, who is our Redeemer, the one who has rescued us from the bondage of sin and yet we turn our attention away from Him and His pleasures and we turn our attention to the pleasures of the world. That's exactly what happened here with David and God is speaking to him about that. David had, grew, had grown dissatisfied with the Lord's blessing and sought after contentment and pleasure outside of God's will. You see, he sinned against God. Beloved, David's cause for repentance, sin against God, is ours. In that we too have sinned. We sin, and we sin against the Lord. For all sin is against the Lord and must be repented of to move forward in our faith. Y'all with me? Amen? Okay. So then we see the second part of this is conceit. There's a cause, there is conceit. Now let's look at what's happening here in this passage of Scripture. Now we don't know how long it is between the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. 
What we do know as we look at the rest of this chapter 12 that this baby has been born. So we know at least nine months. We know that some time has passed between then and now. The baby is born. But what we see in this passage is we see that David here just really doesn't seem to be too concerned about things that are going on. He doesn't seem to be too concerned about his sin. He doesn't seem to be too concerned about this baby. He doesn't seem to be too concerned about things. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we find him doing what he's supposed to be doing. And so what we find here as we come to chapter 12, Nathan comes to the king like any ordinary day. The Nathan, the prophet, would come to the king. It was not out of the ordinary for the prophet to come to the king with an issue that was in the kingdom, especially where it came to the poor, for justice to be brought to someone who had, been done, who had, had something done to them unjustly. And so the Nate, for Nathan to come to the king, it was not out of the ordinary for him to do that, to come to the king and say, look, there's an issue here with this poor person, and you need to know about it as the king. And so that's what he does. As he comes here to the king, and as he comes to David, we find David here fulfilling his obligation. David's on the throne. He's listening to Nathan. He is serving his responsibility. He's doing his God-ordained task. But what we don't see in this picture of David is what David is thinking. But apparently what David is doing here is he is simply just going through the motions of what he's supposed to be doing. He's still coming to work every day. He walks in from the palace onto his throne. He hears from the prophet. He's still fulfilling his God-given task. He's still going to work. And so we look at this and we think about what has just happened in chapter 11. We move now to chapter 12. We see him as he's sitting on the throne in our mind's eye. We see him as Nathan comes to him. And we, have to, we want to say, David, come on, man. Have you forgotten what you have done and you're just sitting around like it's no big deal? This baby has been born. Have you forgotten what you did? It's been less than a year now. Don't you care about Uriah? Don't you care what you have done? Do you realize what you have done, David? Whereas if we could speak that into the Scripture, David may speak back and he'd say, well, you know, I'm trying to get over it. I'm beyond this. Let's just not bring it up, or even I'm trying to forget it. You see, as we see him going through the motions, nothing being said about the sin in his life at this moment when Nathan comes to him, even though it's been about nine months or so since all this has taken place, we have to say that as we look at David, it's the epitome of pride and conceit. Not even thinking about his sin. Not dealing with his sin, trying to move beyond it, not work through it, not to think about it, but just to get beyond it. But beloved, listen, we can be the same way. Where when we will sin against God, we will try to cover it up, we will try to move on, we will try to just forget about it, and hopefully it'll just go away. What we like to do is we like to look at David here and we like to say, David, man, this is terrible. David, we had such high ideas about who you are and now you have blown that forever. And we point our fingers at David about how he has acted and what he has done. But beloved, listen, we need to be very careful. Because here's the thing. How easy it is for us to be angry about other people's sins. Come on now. Well, I'll tell you what, we can, we can really get fired up about sin, but it's other people's sin. 
And we can get fired up and get angry about other people's sins, but not see our own sin. We see that here in David. Boy, he is really tore up here, as we'll see in a minute, about this other guy's sin. But he doesn't see his own. It's the epitome of pride and conceit. Jesus dealt with this in Matthew chapter 7, in verses 1 through 5, where he said, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. And why do you, watch this, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me remove that speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, Jesus says, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's just kind of crazy, isn't it? You look at your brother and you say, man, you got a little splinter in your eye. But the whole time, we've got one of these wood beans. When I remember hearing this sermon as a kid laying in the pew, I'm sure I was listening. I'm sure I was listening, but I was laying in the pew. As the, as the pastor was, was preaching, and he's talking about uh, this passage of Scripture, and he told us to look up. Well, I was already in a great position to look up. But he looked up, and there's, we had a cathedral ceiling, and the wood beams are crossed. And he says, look, just imagine one of those wood beams popping out of your eye. And you're more concerned about the splinter that's in somebody else's eye. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, you're, you're concerned about that little speck in somebody else's eye when you've got a great big old plank coming out of your own eye. Beloved, that is us too often. Too often. When we want to look at other people's sins but not see our own. Well, all right, preacher, I hear what you're saying. But look, at least I didn't do what David did. I mean, after all, he committed adultery with a married woman and then had her husband killed. He's a murderer and an adulterer. At least I don't do that. Well, let's look what Jesus says. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ouch. Okay, well, I'll give you that one, preacher, but at least I hadn't murdered anybody. Okay, well, let's turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says that whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him, the Bible says. Oh, come on, pastor. You know I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. I mean, I'm here today. Well, praise God you're here today. Amen? Hallelujah! I'm glad you're here. I'm not that bad of a person, preacher. I mean, after all, I might tell a little white lie every once in a while, but what's the big harm in that? Well, hmm. If that's all you're doing, just tell a little white lie every once in a while, well, guess what? I think, I might be wrong about this, but I think that that's one of the Ten Commandments. Not to bear false witness, something like that, right? The Bible says also in James chapter 2, verse 10, watch this. That for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. 
So, beloved, there's no one here who has a leg to stand on to say, I am not worthy of death. Because the penalty of all sin is death. Y'all with me? We need to repent. You see, but we are so prideful in our journey, so conceited in our journey, that often we don't even see our sin or think about the offensiveness that it is toward God. Beloved, that is the epitome of pride and conceit. But we need to remember our need for repentance in salvation, but also daily as we fail the Lord and we have a tendency to fail Him and sin against Him. So there is a cause, and too often there is conceit. And then secondly, we see in this passage of Scripture that there is a confrontation and a confession. We see first off this confrontation. And so God, the Lord sends a word through Nathan. He sends Nathan to David, so God is speaking through Nathan. He gives him this word to tell him. And he comes to him, we find this, as we walk through this story here, that Nathan gives David this story. As I said, this would not be unusual for him to hear a story like this from the prophet. And so Nathan says to David, he tells him a story, he says, Hey, hey king, hey, there's two men in, in the city, and one is rich and the other one is poor. And now the rich man king, he has lots of flocks, he's got lots of lambs, he's got a lot of sheep, he's got a lot of herds himself. But this poor man, I need to tell you about him, King. This poor man, he, he has nothing. I mean, he is a poor man. He has nothing except he has this one little ewe lamb. This one little lamb that is very precious to him because he bought this ewe lamb. He nourished this lamb. This lamb grew up together with him and with his children. This lamb eats from his own food. It, eats, it drinks from its own cup. It even lays it in his lap. This lamb is precious like a daughter to him. But king, you need to know that, there, that this rich man, as he's hanging out at his house, a traveler comes by to visit with him. And you know we always want to take care of folks. Well, the, the rich guy, he sees all of his flocks and he sees all of his herds here. And he decides, you know what? I don't want to take anything from my flocks. But I see, the rich man sees, the poor man has this one lamb. So he decides he's going to go over and take the poor man's lamb and prepare it and kill it and give it to the traveler. Well, man, when the king, King David, hears this, he is fired up about this sin. He is, it says, the anger was greatly aroused against the man. David's anger was greatly aroused against this man, this rich man he's talking about. And he says to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. He deserves to die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan says, you know, this, this rich man, he doesn't care anything about the lamb. He doesn't care anything about the poor man. He only cared about himself. David says, he deserves to die. It's at that point that we find that Nathan holds up a mirror to David. And he says to him, you are the man. You're the man. You probably could have blown him over with a feather at that point, don't you think? 
You see, David had this unconfessed sin in his life. Living a lie, living a lie, and living in a, a life of pride and conceit. And now God calls him out through Nathan. He's confronted with his sin. Beloved, listen. We may not always remember or recognize or acknowledge our sin, but God always does. He always recognizes our sin. He always acknowledges our sin. We may try to hide our sin and excuse our sin, but God, praise God, he confronts us about our sin. What we need to understand this morning is that there is nothing, nothing, nothing that is ever hidden from God. Amen? Amen. Nothing. We might think we're getting away with it. We might think that this is past, but there's nothing that is ever hidden from God. In the book of Genesis, we find that Cain, uh, he says, of, we find of Cain, that the, the, God says, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. We think about Joshua in the book of Joshua where the children of Israel are, are in the, heading toward the promised land and God allowed a defeat of Joshua and the children of Israel because there was sin in the camp through Achan who had stole and who had deceived. But God saw it and God knew it and God confronted it. Even in the New Testament, we know that Jesus knew the hearts of the Pharisees. He knew what they were thinking. He knew the betrayal of Judas. He knew the denial of Peter. You see, here's the thing, friend, is that God sees and God knows our sin. Always. We see it here in David. Because our sin is naked and exposed before God. Nothing is ever hidden from him. Luke 12, 2 says, There's nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. And so we find here in this passage that for us to have this repentance, there is to, there, sin is to be called out and confronted. In verses 7 through 9, let's see how God calls out David through Nathan. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you, he's speaking now to David, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your keeping. I gave you the house of Israel, gave you the house of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have also given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you've killed him with the sword of people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Let me back up just a minute. He hears what he has done. The first inclination that we hear, that we would say, what things that we would do, if that was God speaking to us, and would say, who told you I did that? Who told you I did that? Nobody had to tell God anything. God saw it. Amen? He saw it all. So what God is saying to David through Nathan is, is that your sin is being called out. You're being confronted. You tried to find satisfaction in someone or someone else besides me, David. You've rebelled against my word. You've rebelled against my grace. You've rebelled against me. You've disregarded the goodness of God. You've disregarded the grace of God. You've denied his word. You've denied, despised his word and despised him. And you have disobeyed. And you have done all of this in his sight. 
because nothing's hidden from God. His sin is confronted. Beloved, listen, today we may have an accountability partner like a Nathan, and that's so vitally important to have that in our lives. Someone who will speak truth into your life. But more importantly, as believers in Jesus Christ, we also have something or someone that's known as the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who convicts us of our sin. Amen? He confronts us of our sin. He confronts us before, during, and after our sin. When we are being tempted, when we know we're going in a place where we shouldn't be, the Holy Spirit says, you, you shouldn't go there. When we're being tempted in the midst of it, the Holy Spirit gives us an escape route, so here's the way out. And then as we commit the sin, he says, look what you have done. Based upon the word of God, by the spirit living within us, we are confronted by our sin. So we have this confrontation. So what's the next step then if once we're confronted by our sin, when we have sinned against God, we know that we have sinned against God, then we see the second part of that is there is a confession. We come to verse 13 here in this chapter. And David has heard what God has said to him. God knows about his sin. God has told him about what has taken place. And now we come to verse 13. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Now as we look at this passage of scripture and other passages that will come together here in a second. What we find here about David is this. We, at this point in David's life, up to this point where he has done what he has done with Bathsheba and Uriah, man, his, our thoughts of him have now changed. But now as we come to this part in David's life, this is how we find that this David, even with the sin in his life, continues to be a man after God's own heart. He has been confronted with his sin, and he says... I have sinned against the Lord. So here's the thing about David that makes him to continue to be a man after God's own heart is that he is, when he is confronted with his sin, he owns it. He owns his sin. He doesn't come looking to God with a, for a deal. Hey, God, you know, I go to church every week. I'm always at the temple. Can't you cut me some slack here? No, that's not what he does. He doesn't remind God of all of his great deeds. Hey, God, I killed Goliath. You know, I led our people. We're all together as one nation. Brought the ark here. Can't you help me out? No. He doesn't do that. He is not explaining away his sin. He's not trying to justify his sin. He's not to try to point to other people. If only Bathsheba had not been there, God. He didn't do any of that. He simply owns the sin and relies on the mercy of God and says, I have sinned. Against the Lord. You see, that's so unlike Saul. Saul would not own his own sin. David does. As a matter of fact, we go back to Psalm 51 again, and we can see this, this about David, is that there is a brokenness because of his sin. The sin that's in his life, he owns it, and he's broken over it. And so he, as he pens these words, this is during this time, we see in Psalm 51, starting in verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness. That word loving kindness is the word hesed in the Hebrew. It means according to your steadfast love. According to your covenant love that God had promised. According to your grace. 
according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Blot out means rubbing out a debt like in an account book, to have an eraser that's a magic eraser, a blood eraser, if you will, that takes away the sin. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, meaning like to wash a dirty stain. Cleanse me from my sin, which is cleansing like cleansing of a leper could only be cleansed by the purification that comes only from God. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my, my sin. My sin is always before me. David owns his sin. He recognizes his brokenness over this sin. Indeed, in verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Beloved, listen, that's what God is looking for in repentance. It's a heart that's broken over our sin. Amen? That's what he's looking for in us. A heart that's broken over our sin. Because it's not a sorrow just because, I'm sorry just because of the consequences, but I'm sorry because of the sin that's against you, O oh Lord. There is a difference, isn't it? To be sorry about the con- because of the consequences or sorry about the sin that was against him. You know, my mind goes back to when I was a kid, go back to that same church where I'm laying in the pew. <clears throat> and there were times when I wasn't laying in the pew when I was really bad in the pew, where I would not be quiet. And Mama would give me the look. And Mama would say, one more time. And I would try her that one more time, and she would take me out of that sanctuary. And I knew where we were going. We were going to the nursery bathroom. (laughs) Where I would soon be getting a spanking. I do not ever remember yelling out, Lord, please help me, or somebody please help me. But I'm sure I said on more than one occasion, Mom, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please, Mama, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. Because I was sorry about the consequences that were about to come. Y'all with me? Y'all been there. But as I was thinking about that this morning even, there were other times in my life growing up when I would do something And my mama would be disappointed. Or she would be hurt by something that I had done. And then it was like, oh, mom, I am so sorry for what I've done. But the difference is is that when you're sorry about how it has affected someone, when you're sorry how how it affected her, I'm more likely to change and not do that again. But if I'm sorry just because of the consequences, let me just tell you, I had to go to that bathroom more than once in my lifetime, okay? (laughs) When we realize that when we sin and we're sinning against God, it should change us, people. That we would turn from that sin and not go that way again. Amen? But until we are truly sorry for our sin... And not just the consequences. There will be no turning. There will be no change. There will be no real moving forward in our faith. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says that he who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Praise God for his mercy.
that brings us to the next point, is that there's cleansing and there's consequence. There's cleansing and consequence. We come to this passage, this verse 13. Nathan has told David, he has confronted him. God has seen you. He knows what you have done. Here's what's going to happen. Verse 13, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Wait a minute now. What? What? After all that David has done? Come on. He had a guy murdered so that he could have his wife to cover it up. And now all we see here is that the, the prophet says to David, the Lord has put away your sin and you shall not die. Absolutely. Because here's the thing. And here's the thing we need to always remember. Is that the Lord is ready to forgive. As a matter of fact, he is more ready to forgive then we are to repent. Amen? Um, preacher, I don't know about that. God can never forgive me for what I've done in my life. Beloved, listen, there's no sin that is too great that the Lord cannot forgive. Wait a minute now, preacher. I believe I've heard about this thing called an unpardonable sin. Is that me? Is there something there? Well, here's the thing. The unpardonable sin is to, be bla to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That means when someone has rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. But our God, through Jesus, is ready to forgive and to cleanse you of your sin. When we repent. 1 John 1, 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah 55.7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his, unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. You say, well, I am not so sure that there's hope for me. I'm here to tell you that there's hope for you because Jesus went to the cross for you and took your penalty there on that cross so you could have hope no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter where you've been. He is cleansed and forgiven. David is cleansed and he is forgiven. He has put away your sin. You shall not die. You now can live and have life instead of death. And beloved, because of Jesus, we have the forgiveness in Christ and we have life instead of death. Amen? So there is cleansing, but there is also consequence. In verses 10 through 12, we see, that we see in this verse 13 that David has been forgiven. He has confessed his sin. He's repenting of his sin. And so God has said, you are forgiven. You, your death has been put away. Your sins have been put away. You will not die. You can have life. But there are consequences. He says back in verses 10 and following, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you've despised me. 
You've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I'll take your wives before your eyes. Give them to your neighbor. He shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. And you did it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel, before the son. Skip down to verse 14. Because of this deed, you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. So the child also who is born to you shall surely die. So what happens here is that David has committed this sin and life has been changed. What we see here is that the God Almighty has, through Nathan the prophet, has said, your sin has been put away and you shall not die. So he has been cleansed. He has been forgiven. But David, your life has been changed forever because of what has happened. There are always consequences to sin. Always. God says to him, your house will be in disarray. Your son would seek to take over the kingdom and four sons would die prematurely, including this newborn. Your enemies have been given an opportunity to blaspheme the Lord and you not only disgraced yourself, but you've also disgraced the Lord. And here we are thousands of years later and we still know what David did and are talking about it. Consequences to sin. What a heavy price was paid for a few minutes of passion. Wow. There is cleansing. There is the grace of God. But there are always consequences. All through the Bible we see that sin has consequences. From the first sin in Genesis all the way through the scripture. We see the grace. We see the cleansing. But also the consequences. As we mentioned last week, when we sin, it's always a loss. Life is never the same. It, it gives your enemies, and listen, and when we sin, it gives your enemies and enemies of the Lord and enemies of the gospel an opportunity to point at you and to rejoice. Listen, they will rejoice in your failure, and they will blaspheme the Lord in the process when we sin against God. You see, every action, every decision, every choice has a consequence, good or bad. Every action, every decision, every choice has a consequence. And so we think about that in David's life, and we think about in our own own lives. You know, we have to say, "Oh, oh, wretched man that I am, where is my hope? Where is my hope in this? Well, our hope is found in God through Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, beloved. We need his forgiveness. We need his cleansing. And it comes only through him. And even as we are cleansed of our sin, even though there are consequences, here's the grace of God, is that he even works with us and walks with us even as we face the consequences of life. And even, here's how good God is, is that he can even take the bad things of your life, the bad consequences even you have to deal with, and even bring good for his glory out of it. What an awesome God we serve. Amen? We rest in his grace. We rest in his mercy. And as David was cleansed, even though he knew of the consequences, later on he would write this psalm in Psalm 103. He would write these words, knowing of what God has done in his life, knowing of his cleansing of his sin, but also the consequences that he's had to deal with. He would pin these words in Psalm 103. 
he writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Watch this. Who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. But the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Don't you know David is rejoicing as he writes these words? He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Ah, David, you understand the grace of God. Even though you face the consequences of your sin, you are still resting in his grace and his mercy and knowing that he still is the one where we find our greatest pleasure and satisfaction and delight in God Almighty. And for us, it's in Jesus, the same God. Amen? Where these words written of David in Psalm 103 apply to us today as well. Amen? Go back and read it. Put your name there. This is us as well. As far as the east is from the west, as he removed our transgressions from us. In repentance, there is a cleansing, but we must deal with the consequences, resting in his grace and his mercy. Three things real quick. As we said a minute ago, what Nathan does to David, as he confronts him, as God confronts him, is that Nathan holds up a mirror. And so, beloved, the thing that we need to do is we need to hold up a mirror to ourselves. So to do, hold up the mirror to ourselves, just as Nathan held up the mirror to David. By the authority of the Word of God as the foundation of what sin is, as the Holy Spirit deals with us, we need to ask and say, Lord, reveal to me any sin in my life. Is there any unconfessed sin in my life, Lord? And he will, as a believer, he will bring that to your attention through his Word, through the Spirit living within you. Ask him to show you. Be honest about it. Ask him to help you see it, and he will show that to you. Hold the mirror up to ourselves. And then as he reveals whatever sin that is, and listen, it may not be a sexual sin that we're talking about with David here. It could be unforgiveness. It could be pride. It could be self-righteousness and self-pity. It could be anything that is a sin against God. Asking him to hold up the mirror to ourselves that we may see. And as he shows us whatever that sin is, then the next thing we need to do is to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. Confessing that sin before him in agreement with him that, yes, Lord, you are right, this is sin, I have sinned against you, and repent of that sin, turning from it and turning to Jesus. And then thirdly, is that as we confess and repent, turning from sin and to Jesus, we rest in his grace and in his mercy. Walking with him daily, living close to him, but knowing that he guides us and he helps us, even in the consequences of life, 
he, we are never alone. And he can even bring the bad and make it good for his glory. Our God is awesome. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you do not give us all that we deserve, but you've given us what we don't deserve. You've given us life instead of death. And I pray, Father, that we would be reminded of that today as you hold the mirror up in front of all of our hearts and all of our lives today. We may see, based upon the authority of your word and by the power of the Spirit who lives within us, what it is in our lives that we need to change, we need to turn from and ask forgiveness of. And Lord, to realize that we have sinned against you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would guide us and direct us, Lord, as we come to this time of invitation. Maybe those who just need to come and silently pray here at the altar. Just getting things right with you, God. Maybe there are those of us who need to come and pray for our family members who have strayed from you and we need to come and pray for them. Maybe you're working in the hearts and lives of us, Father, who don't know you as Savior, who've never come to you in repentance and say, Lord, I need you. I turn from my sin. I turn to you because I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you died for me and rose again bodily and from the grave and I want you to be the Lord of my life. Maybe those who've never done that, this would be that time. Father, I pray that if there are those of us who claim to know you as Savior and you're dealing with us even at this moment about some sin in our lives, Lord, may we deal with that today. May we lay it at the cross and know that we find cleansing by the blood of Jesus and know that even though there are consequences to the sin of our lives, that you are so gracious and so merciful that you walk with us and never leave us. Oh, God. How we praise you for that. God, may you be with us during this invitation, a time of recommitment, of renewal, of challenge and change for your glory, honor, and praise. As we sing together, may you work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand together and we're going to sing together.